and they found something called the zipper effect. And it's zipping up to mutually exclusive constructs that have a very surprising underpinning. And that's what these women athletes perceived and experienced mental toughness Mm -hmm. and self-compassion. And they found like, this was something that like they thought was mutually exclusive. Like you couldn't be self like compassionate to yourself if you're being mentally tough, but it turns out they're actually compatible processes Mm -hmm. underpinned in mindfulness. Welcome to Rise and Shine, a mind power podcast by Rise Athletes. I'm your host, Nat Ambrosi. Rise helps teen athletes improve sports performance and mental wellness by working with an elite mind power coach. Our mind power coaches are Olympic, professional, elite, and post-collegiate athletes trained in the fundamentals of mindset development. They lead a results-driven mind power coaching program that helps teen athletes overcome mindset blocks and performance pressures, learn how to regulate their emotions, prepare for competition, and gain tools to enhance overall mental wellness. I am stoked that we are starting this podcast. Um, Our first guest today is Amanda Presgraves. She is a mind power coach and multi-sport athlete. Um, And now it's time to introduce her. So welcome to the Rise and Shine podcast. Woo! Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, what are you doing now and what was your experience like as a teen athlete? Yeah. So I find that like asking what I'm doing now is a pretty loaded question. Cause I, I do a lot of different things and I try not to lead with my job titles because just like we talk about in coaching athletes, like we are much more than our titles and that's much more than our identity we are it's just a part of us and not defining of who we are it's the qualities that we bring to them that make who we are so I find to describe myself I'm definitely a multi-passionate energetic like life energy driven person Um, I have many different outlets so I do the mind power coaching with teen athletes Um, I also lead innovation for a food tech startup um I like to do a lot of community work too. So I run a community co-working space. I'm, I'm a writer. So I'm finishing up edits for my book right now. And then I do a lot of work in the food space. So everything from like writing in it to working with startups to uh, local and regional food system work, um, consulting, mm-hmm. community development. I find like a lot, of, a lot of my work falls into the intersection of food and also movement. So I think there's like this beautiful, like juicy, magical intersection there. And I have this unique way of like just connecting all of that and weaving it together. And really it's like the overlap between all of that is our mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll go into a little bit of my athletic life because that is an important part of me too. So I live in Harrisonburg, Virginia, which a lot of people listening, like might not know where that is. Um, it's in the Shenandoah Valley. So the heart of like the Blue Ridge mountains of Virginia, it's mm-hmm. truly incredible outdoors community here. And it's one of that's one of the big characteristics that brought me to Harrisonburg. Um, just I'm surrounded by people who push me, who inspire me, um, that just believe in like living outside in abundance. And so I'm often out exploring and connecting with myself in the world through ultra trail running, through road riding, mountain bike riding, and swimming. Um, and ultimately, if I can, doing all of those together. So I'm definitely a multi-sport athlete. And you asked about my teen athletic experience. I think the approach that I have to life now is very much because of my experiences as a teen athlete and maybe because of the experiences I didn't have 
too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot to dive into when it comes to my teen athletic experience. Um, a lot of beautiful things, a lot of lessons learned, but I got into all of that through swimming. Um, mostly as it might be very clear, um, I got into swimming because I was a super energetic kid. Uh, I, I had ADHD. I still have ADHD. Um, and swimming was that place, that outlet that my parents put me in from the age of four. And mm-hmm. if you ask them, they'd argue that saved my life and probably theirs too. Um, but swimming was like that place for me though, that my energy was appreciated that I could be a leader. I could stand up. I could had an outlet for the, my ideas and for further seeking and like going after a goal too. Like it's really important to have that focus. And swimming was incredible for me. Um, that was like really important, but from a young age, I specialized in that and really committed to myself. I joked that that was my first love. It still is. Um, but like you were a swimmer, not like you yeah. understand the culture of it. It's like, it's intense. And when we were swimming, cause we found out that we were swimming at the same time yes. in the same conference, each other. which is so, so cool. Uh, against each other. I love stalking old swim results, but recognizing that like, that was your life. Like that was how I grew up swimming was like you swim. And if you don't dedicate your whole life to it, then you're not committed to it. And so I think that's why I am so multi-passionate in like pursuing all these different activities. Cause I've realized that doing one thing enhances the other sport and keeps me from getting burnt out and injured. And, you know, there's so much to that. Um, but that's a lot of, a lot of my teen experience and what I do now, I think stems from that, that take and that history with sport. Yeah. Wow. I mean, first off, I didn't know about all of this food stuff. So that is so <laughs> cool. And that you're a writer. You'll have to tell us what your book is when it comes okay. out and definitely going to read it. I love reading. Um, yeah. One of the things I wanted to jump on that you said was the burnout piece Mm. and how a lot of times people are like you, you, what you just said, there's that myth of you need to go to practice every day. You need to do this. You need to, you know, be all into your sport in order to be good. And I know for me as an athlete, I'd go to practice every day, but the qual, the quantity of how many practices I went to didn't result in the quality of my swimming. Mm. So talk a little bit about, um, myths that you've seen about mindset and sport and sport in general. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, like you just like sparked a fire inside of me. I'll try not to go on about this <laughs> for 10 minutes. <laughs> so I let's go into burnout. I went literally years during my teen athlete years, not dropping time. I mean, I was mm-hmm. chronically exhausted. I had overuse injuries. I had definitely had like a lot of things contributing to that with coaches, with like lack of teammates, um, with the culture that I was in. Ultimately, I knew like I wanted to stay involved in swimming, but it is devastating when, like you said, you're going to eight practices a week. You're training for over 20 hours. I'm driving, let alone an hour to each practice twice a day. So that's four hours in my car. I mean, it's like, and then you're taking AP classes, you're trying to be the school president, like you're doing all these things. And when you dedicate your entire life and existence to something, and you don't see the outcome of that, it, it, it is almost teaching us that what's the point of trying if you're not going to see the effects of it. And that was, that was really hard for me. Like, I'll never forget 
coming back from my championship meet in March and being so sad. Like once everyone went to bed in my house, I would turn the light back on my room and I'd write and I would just cry because I didn't understand how I could give my heart to something so deeply and not see the return of my efforts, how I would beat people in practice and I not see that carry over to the meet. And I talked to my athletes about this too, because I realize I'm not alone in feeling this. And it's so helpful mm-hmm. to talk to them too, because just a reminder, it's like, we all, we all go through this, but yeah. so much of my life, like that was really, really hard for me. And I, I'll carry that into this myth that I learned later on in my life. And I write and I research extensively mm-hmm. on this topic, yeah. mostly because it's, it's incredibly understudied and we're just starting to understand the intersection of this. And it's the overlap of self-compassion and mental Mm -hmm. toughness. Okay, so it's this misconception that many of us think that in order to be mentally tough, you need to be incredibly hard on yourself. When in fact, Mm -hmm. you need to be as kind to yourself as you are hard on yourself. Wow. And it, it is something that I understood to be true, but I didn't feel it until later on in life. So Mm -hmm. when I was eight, I had a coach for a really long time and he'd always say, it's all between your ears. And I would get like, so annoyed. And I'd roll my eyes at him. I'd be like, whatever. Like I just, I hated every time he said that because mm-hmm. he'd emphasize the power of my mind. And it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to not know how to control it. And it felt like this really unfamiliar territory. And I was always like, now you can probably relate to this as a hard worker, but I was definitely a practice swimmer. So mm-hmm. I was someone who like, did really well and showed up in practice and would like be rolling out the best times and going best times in practice. But for whatever reason, when it came to a meet, I could not replicate that. And it was because this self-induced pressure of performance that I put on myself and this immense weight that I had when I would walk up to the block and be like, well, all of this, everything you've done is amounting to this moment. Right. And no one ever provided me the tools to go through and work with my negative self-talk to like how to physiologically train my body to do neuromuscular firing through visualization or how to feel success deep in my bones as if it already happened. Like no one taught me that resilience and belief was a muscle that I could train to. Um, I feel like, and this is definitely changing, but it's still not talked about enough, but Mental toughness in the competitive culture of sports is often viewed as our ability to grind harder, to hustle harder, to rest less, to man up, to train longer and harder and push through pain and silence, ignoring injuries. And like mental toughness isn't inherently bad, right? Like we talk about it, like at Rise, we try to foster it. But, you know, I started to recently, and I think a lot of it is driven by like my connection to nature now. And like getting outside and into the woods, but I've been able to observe my past experiences from this bird's eye view now. And as I'm dipping my toe into the ultra endurance world and being on my mountain bike all day and multi-sport mm-hmm. endeavors, I've begun appreciating and honoring my body in newfound ways. And I see you doing this snap, like yeah. when you do a new sport, like it's like you're out surfing or like you're teaching yourself. Like, I think, what was it like badminton? What were oh, you doing? Pickleball. Pickleball. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like that. It's like, you're like in awe with what your body can learn, especially mm-hmm. older. I think like there's this shame in being not so good at something when we like start as competitive athletes, like we're used to kind of excelling in a sport. So it's really hard to kind of be a beginner, but mm-hmm. I felt like 
just as deeply proud of myself as I am tough on myself. And like every single act that I do is this self-love. Um, like each each ride run I go on is like a love letter to myself. And each bite I put in my mouth is this like profound sense of like tender care. Yeah. And um, so back to this, um, you know, you asked about this misconception. There's this really interesting study. And like I said, it's really new research. It came out in 2019 and it was a Canadian study with elite women athletes. And it was not like a huge group, but um, it was done in Canada and they found something called the zipper effect. And it's zipping up to mutually exclusive constructs that have a very surprising underpinning. And that's what these women athletes perceived and experienced mental toughness mm-hmm. and self-compassion. And they found like, this was something that like they thought was mutually exclusive. Like you couldn't be self like compassionate to yourself if you're being mentally tough, but it turns out they're actually compatible processes mm-hmm. underpinned in mindfulness. And when used together, mm-hmm. it forms this optimal mindset around athletic sports performance. And so mental toughness is not simply in the absence of self-compassion, just as self-compassion mm-hmm. isn't in the absence of mental toughness. Like they complement one another. Right. Yeah. And I like, wow. I know that, yeah, it's, it's like, I know it, it's something that I feel like we don't talk about. Like we, we emphasize mental toughness, but we don't emphasize self-compassion. So what if we don't need to be tougher on ourselves? We just need to love ourselves harder. Like, isn't, isn't that so powerful in in sport just as much as, you know, you said, Oh, I'm so surprised you like do all this food work too. I look at sport and I look at nourishing as they're both uh, providing this ability to be able to cultivate mental skills Mm -hmm. that are conducive to your, your well-being. So like the food that we choose to consume is like just as important as the actions we take in movement. Um, I like think of them as like very important and woven together. So Mm -hmm. I think I'll like, I look at a lot of this in terms of like, how can I like give myself love? Like how does like every bite I feed myself go into making me a better person and making me like my most wholesome self, Mm -hmm. just as like the movement that I do too. And yeah, it's not something that I think we grew up hearing about. Mm -hmm. No, I would have to agree. Like everything you said about the, I love metaphors for things. And <laughs> Me too. Visually, I'm a designer. So yeah. the visual of the zipper, I'm like, whoa, yes. that like totally makes sense. I love how your brain works like that. Yeah. And I really admire designers for their ability to articulate something that like I have in my head, but I can't right. put on paper. Yeah. And that's what words are to me. Mm-hmm. Words give me the ability to take what's in my mind and put it down. But there's something so like visually satisfying and simplified about seeing it in a graphic that is just like, I see, I see so much of your work and I'm like, Oh, I, I I love that. Like, I want to learn that skill. No, totally. So I'm so impressed by it. I loved, really loved what you said about like right now as you know, someone in their late twenties, you're really starting to love your body Mm -hmm. and really understand that. But when you were a teen athlete, you didn't. And I know for me, I've had the same experience of when I was a swimmer, it was like, how do I force my body to do what I wanted to do to make mm-hmm. that cut, to make that time mm-hmm. to get to the next meet, to get into college? Um, what would you say was that tipping point for you? So if you were talking to a mm-hmm. teen athlete, um, what was that tipping point for you that you said, hey, like my body can do so much. Look at this. So I would say it was when I felt it. So, um, 
I went through a really difficult injury my junior year of college. So I swam at James Madison. I was a breaststroker. Um, Nat was also a breaststroker at Delaware <laughs> and we raced against each other. And actually the, the meet that we raced against each other was my first meet back after this. Mm -hmm. So I had a uh, double hip repair surgery after mm -hmm. my sophomore year. So I had double labral repair and like with breaststroke, many of the people listening might be involved in swimming, or maybe you don't know much, but it's the frog stroke. So it is very intensive uh, and demanding of your hips. And I tore like, so basically the ball and socket, my yeah. ball was tearing on my labrum. And so I got that repaired and not with the promise that I was going to return to sport. And during that time, I, I went through a really hard depressive state where I wasn't sure if I was going to return to swimming. And like we talked about swimming was what I dedicated my entire life to. And I was Amanda, the swimmer, like my identity was formed around sport. And I went through a really challenging time trying to understand what my point and what my purpose in life was after that. And it was during my recovery when I realized that I was going to take this time to write, to implement all the ideas that mm -hmm. I, I had, but I never had the time to do. And I started a food truck during that time. And I worked on my mindset and it was then that I realized, wow, I'm so much more than my sport. Mm -hmm. And it brought this levity to me. Like, don't get me wrong. I was deeply committed to getting better. I would do eight hours a day of PT and did everything I could to return back. Um, but it was then that I realized, okay, if I, I, my, this was the time I could work on my brain if I couldn't work on my body. And so I started working with a sports psychologist and you know how we talked about earlier, that whole concept of like the story I was telling myself was that I worked so hard. I showed up to races. I gave it my all and I, it didn't pay off. Yeah. And so every single time I showed up to the block, I would get performance anxiety. Like I felt like I was hitting this wall and I could feel my body clamp up. I could feel the thoughts changing right. in my head. I would notice them. And it was like the spiral I would go down and I'll never forget this metaphor. This is a metaphor that probably resonate with you. We were sitting in his office and he says, um, you know, all right, I want you to imagine you're, you know, you're approaching the block right. and you're at the beach and you love surfing. So you're really mm -hmm. going to get this. Imagine your thoughts are like a wave and you're running out into the water. You're not going to fight them. Like you're going to dive into it and work with your thoughts mm -hmm. and you can absorb them, observe them and watch them come to shore and then watch them go back out. Mm -hmm. And it was this complete shift in approach to my thoughts. Instead of fighting them, I was observing them and working with them and not attaching a negative association to the physiological feeling of nervousness that I was getting. And so we talk about this at Rise, our feelings change our thoughts. So if we notice nerves coming into us, mm -hmm. our brain says, oh my goodness, this is nervous again. I'm not gonna do well and we go down that spiral. So for some people, it, it works in the opposite. They get, they have those self-talk and it right. changes their physiology too. So it works both ways. Um, but for me, mine, mine was feelings and then thoughts. Right. And when I started to do visualization and do breathing exercises and change how I felt at the block, that was when I felt yeah. the effects of mindset. I think we have to feel it in order to understand it and believe it, but we can't feel it unless someone shows it to us and yeah. walks us through those exercises, which is why I love working with teen athletes, because every time I talk to them, it's like, yep, they needed to be walked and felt this. It's one thing mm -hmm. to preach it to someone, but they need to feel it.
Mm-hmm. That, that was so powerful, especially the wave metaphor that you shared. Like even now at the age that I am not competing in sport, I'm like, wow, I could really use that. Like that is so, yeah, so incredible. And I think one thing too, that, you know, thinking back on my own experience as well, and what you shared is we have coaches, which are amazing. They're amazing at mm-hmm. teaching us technique. They're amazing at teaching us, you know, pacing and how to race and how to do flip turns, you know, when you're, yeah. when you're five or six years old and you're like, I'm going to learn how to flip turn. Um, but one thing that I know I missed in my experience, and it seems like you missed in your experience was having that coach to teach about mindset. Mm-hmm. And you talked about a whole variety of things right there about, <laughs> you know, visualization and journaling and thought, like listening to your thought like self-awareness. Yeah. yeah self-awareness. So tell me a little bit about like your mind power coach at rise. What do so, you like, what do your sessions look like with athletes? What do you teach kind of going off of that? So I, um, well, I'll, I'll start by saying, I, I feel like I learn as much from them mm-hmm. as I hope that they maybe learn from me. So it's very dialogue and exercise focused. Mm-hmm. Um, my sessions always start off with checking in with who they are as a person. So they're much more than the athlete that they show up. And I work with, I mostly swimmers right now. So it's much more than like how their practice is going or their experience at a meet. It's like, how's school? How's your family? Um, how are your friendships right now? COVID has not been friendly to many of us and they've been thrown curveballs when it comes to their social life and how they're in school. So we take it from there. Um, everything that we talk about in sports, and this is why I'm so passionate about it, is it carries over to life. Like what we do as an athlete and the experience that we have in sport is it directly relates to how we show up in our world. And so I want them to recognize that the same nervous feeling they might have behind the block can also happen when they're about to give a presentation in class. Like even before this podcast, I did like, I paused and did some breathing because I wanted to show up with presence and uh, like clear mindedness. And that's important for us all to show up with presence everywhere that we go. Um, And so we start with checking in with our feelings. How are we doing? How was the past week? Maybe we reflect a little bit on the exercises we went over the past week. I like to give exercises. I think it's a really great way for us to emphasize the importance of practice and developing our mindset, just like we show up for practice and swimming or at any sport, like it takes work. It's not like it just happens. You know, we, we have to constantly train our mind and repattern our thoughts. It's not like we just decide to do it. Um, we work at it. And if you work at it, you get better at it. And it's important to recognize that and feel that. So we check in on the exercises and then, you know, we'll check in about how last week went, what are the summer reflections that they're having? I'm definitely, I found that a lot of athletes too, I work with are reflection based. And so for some of them, that's journaling for some of them, that's drawing. I have some like really like musically talented people too. Um, so drawing on other skills that they have and ways of expression. Um, and then we just, that takes us in a direction. So there, it, I don't like to have too much of a plan because that they might be experiencing something new for the first time, or they're approaching their season championship meet and we want to work through visualization. So we usually have like at rise, we have a lot of different mindset foundations and tracks Mm -hmm. that, you know, help us, you know, it's kind of like a pyramid where you have like the foundation of like Mm -hmm. understanding how mindset works and the self-awareness around our talks and our self-talk and focus, you know, you have to understand all these things in order to like graduate to the next skill. So 
I love to bring in science. I love to bring in experience. I love to bring in application. Um, but it always just depends on the person. And what I find is a lot of people breathing exercises really helps visualization really helps. Um, those you can really see the direct effects of what you're, you know, when you practice it, you really notice it. Um, and I think that's always really important as athletes. We like to see the fruits of our labor. We like to see hard work and we like to see the effect of it. And Mm -hmm. like, I think those are two ways that like, we can really see those quickly when we practice it. So I find we focus on those a lot, but it differs per person, but it's a lot of reflection, asking questions. Um, and then there's key foundations to mindset that we go through. Um, the things that I wish someone told me when I was younger, Yeah, really is it. I love that. I mean, even how you approach sessions with your athletes and what you talked about at the beginning of sport now, isn't your identity. There's so many other pieces to you. And just with these athletes, you're, you're teaching them that yes, their sports important. We're going to talk about mindset, but also your identity and who you are as a person. What do your relationships look like? You love, you love music. Like, Hey, show me what you've been working on with Mm -hmm. music. Mm -hmm. And mindset isn't in what we preach at rise all the time is mindset. And this program isn't just for sport. Mm -hmm. It's for sport. Yes. But also it goes into life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from hearing from parents and athletes in this program, the difference of when they started and where they are now, even if they're not competing, let's say in college, Mm -hmm. I was like, man, I wish I learned this stuff when I was a kid. Like, can you imagine you don't even think about, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine what a different athlete I would have been and and you too, if had we learned these things and, and I always joke with people, like, I'll be like running in the morning and I'll pass the one like, what are you training for? And I'm like life. I mean, like, yeah, I sign up for races, but like Mm -hmm. I'm training for life. I'm training to take on any challenges that I get, because chances are that challenge that I faced in that workout is going to be like you know, it could be the hardest thing I face all day. Maybe it's not, but I know if I could get through that, then I can get through anything. And like what I learned through that and reflect on carries over to everything that I do. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important to like, when these athletes are able to enhance and understand all their unique qualities that like their life is just more full. Like the sports are simply just, um, an avenue for like better understanding ourselves. Like that's all it is. It's just this like platform for better, like improving and like understanding ourselves. And when we, when we emphasize all of the different elements that like make who they are, I think that they only show up more fully. They become a better leader. They excel in school. Their relationships are stronger. And that's like what sports always been for me. And I like, I really want, I will be a lifelong athlete for that reason, because I find that it just makes me a better person. No, for sure. It is that the whole piece of everything, like, Mm -hmm. I'm just like sitting here, like, oh man, there is so much to think about in in life. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so let's say if you were to give a teen athlete, let's say that you're sitting across from a teen athlete that you just met, If you were to give them a piece of advice, whether it's about sport, life, anything in general, what would that be? Well, if I just met them, oh gosh, I feel like this is a little heavy to go into, like having just met them, but like, I guess like maybe not just met, but like, yeah, if you're, let's say someone that you know. Yeah. 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 I mean, and it's like, everyone needs to hear something said differently. 
-hmm. but what my like greatest truth and um just like epiphany the past couple years has been and I like talking about that research that I've done and kind of like the premise of my entire book but like we can be as kind to ourselves as we are hard on ourselves and that means like feeding your body, nourishing, fueling foods, getting sleep, connecting with friends. Like we can push our limits as an athlete without burning ourselves out, without getting injured. And we can understand these warning signs along the way that I think many of us ignore because we think that categorizes us as tough. This is irritability, lack of appetite, you know, inability to sleep at night. If you're menstruating, not having a period, and this is different for everyone. Right. But like, we are a better athlete when we are a better individual. And so like, we're much more than an athlete. And when you realize that you show up in your sport more fully, like you show up in your life more fully, because you see the bigger picture of what you're capable of being. And that is something that took me a long time to learn. And when I learned that, it completely changed my approach to racing, to sports, the pressure I placed on myself, like, I'm a better athlete knowing that. And I'm a better, even a better person for knowing that. Yeah. This conversation has been so awesome. I mean, we <laughs> talked about mental toughness and self-compassion and, and that zipper. Like mm -hmm, that, that zipper I always effect. remember. Every time I zip up a coat and be like, okay, these things yep. go together. Yep. yep. Um, I can be hard on myself today yep. and I can also be loving myself today. Exactly. And there, it, it's that balance too, right? Mm -hmm. Like told like even with nutrition, right. Is like, it's a balance of food. Yeah, you don't need to like completely cut out one thing or completely mm -hmm. eat a ton of another thing because our, our body isn't going to work that way. Mm -mm. No. And so. it's all in abundance too. Like when yeah. we recognize that, like all of these foods are in abundance and like we have access to them mm -hmm. and we look at it in terms of like the whole picture and the colorful variety that's, yes. you know, on the, you know, on the menu and on the buffet, we, I think it allows us to see our world a little bit differently and like how we can be creative and using, utilizing all of it. When you say you yeah. love metaphors, I have so many food metaphors and yeah. I could go on forever about it, but it's so true. And I hope every time, yeah, people zip up a coat, they think like, okay, I never thought of it this way, but I'm going to be as like kind to myself as I am hard today. And I can challenge myself to be a better person while also loving me for where I'm at in that process with it. Yeah, no, for sure. So if there's any, you just said you love metaphors. <laughs> if there's any metaphor that you can kind of leave mm. our listeners with, leave me with, if you're like, Hey, here's a metaphor, wow. what would it be? So, oh, wow. That was a really good question. The first thing that pops into my mind though, is nourishment. Mm. And I look at food, you know, we look at food as like fuel in the gas tank. And I, I think it's much more than that. Um, I think that like silos it into actually it, you know, it minimizes actually how we could talk about food. But like when we talk about nourishing ourselves, we need to not just look at the food that goes into our mouth, but what we consume through our social media, yeah. through our environment. We talked about that beforehand, the importance of surrounding yourself with people that level you up. Um, it's, it's in the thoughts that we have in our brain. Um, you know, the list can go on and on. It's in the activities that we do and how we move our body, um, the beliefs that we have, like we can nourish ourselves in so many dimensions. Mm -hmm. um, and it's important to understand that everything that we do could be like an act of self-love for us if we let it be. So um, yeah, I look at nourishment as much more than just food. And I think that's a good metaphor. Wow. 
Yes. <laughs> that is such a good metaphor. Self-love, like self-compassion, yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. is the theme of our episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it really is. <laughs> with with, nutrition, with sport, with life, mm-hmm. like so many mm-hmm. things. So yeah. I wanted to thank you so much yes. for being on the podcast and being our first guest. And it's actually Amanda's birthday today. So we want to wish her a happy <laughs> birthday. Um, and yeah, so if you're listening today and not already receiving our mind power blog, the mind power blog is so powerful. Amanda's actually in the process of writing one of them now, but it's stories from mind power coaches. It's their voices, their thoughts, their vibes. And in order to receive that, you can go to our website at rise-athletes.com and scroll to the bottom and fill out your email and you'll be added to our list. We promise we're not going to send you any junk mail. It's all really good stories. Um, And to find more about Rise, um, if you want to be an athlete in the program or sponsor an athlete, you can visit riseathletes.com. And on the top, there's a button that says services. So there's options there for you. Make sure you also follow us on social media. This is where that will be posted as well. So you might already be seeing it on social. Um, Again, I'm Nat Ambrosi. Thanks for watching and listening. Uh, Remember, like Amanda said, you're not your sport. There's so much more to you and you make such an impact in the world.